Hey entrepreneurs, today we're sitting down with Eric Dodier, the co-founder and CEO of Pixel Media. He started his company over 28 years ago as a two-person multimedia company in his own apartment to now a 400-plus person firm. His business focuses on helping brands launch, manage, and grow their e-commerce business on Salesforce.com. In this episode, we learn about the multiple pivots that Pixel Media was forced to take to not only keep up with ever-changing technology the past 30 years, but also to simplify and focus his business on the area that his company could create the best market share and equity value. Here's my good friend, Eric Dodier. Eric, thanks for joining us today. I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation. I remember you know, talking with you a little bit before we started this podcast couple of years ago, thinking about what I wanted to do in terms of learning myself with entrepreneurs and helping other entrepreneurs. And, you know, over the past few years, you know, that I've gotten to know you, a lot of respect for what you have built with your company, how steady handed you've been and the moves you've made in your business and can't wait to like jump in and just learn a little bit more about what was going on through your mind, through the years of growing your business over 28 years at Pixel Media and all the learnings you've had within that. So welcome to the conversation today. Yeah, no, thank you, John. Appreciate it. And uh, good to see you, Rich, too. I've been following what you guys are up to and um, glad to be a part of it. So glad you're here. Where do you, where do you want to start? Like, awesome. Well, I think we should ground everybody, you know, real quick. Give us a little bit of the Eric Dodier, you know, two or three minute background of where you came, school, out of school, and then you started Pixel Media 28 years ago. So what you did prior to that is maybe not as relevant as to what you've done through it. But give us a little bit of history of who Pixel Media is, who you are, and, and we'll start from there. Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll try to cut it off so we can, uh, you know, 28 years is a lot, but I'll, I'll give it to you <laughs> exactly. in chunks and we can kind of go back and, and look at yeah. specific parts. But but in essence, um, I, I'm, I'm from the Northeast, you know, north of Boston um, in the seacoast of New Hampshire, um, where I'm actually sitting now. Um, went to the University of New Hampshire and, and went to one high tech company prior to starting Pixel Media. And I, it was a very entrepreneurial uh, company and it kind of got me motivated. I'd already had, always had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit and roots and read Inc. Magazine when I was 15 and 16 and where all the fastest growing companies were. So I think those are early things when I look back that were kind of indicators of maybe what I would do. Mm -hmm. um, and in uh, 1994, multimedia and multimedia computers were kind of getting popular. People had them more. And um, I ran someone at the company where we were doing these multimedia presentations. And I thought, hey, we could do this for other businesses. And it was in the tech industry. And um, really what Pixel Media was to start was helping companies put little mini presentations, animated presentations on demo diskettes at the time or diskettes and floppy disks and then CD-ROMs and kind of mail them out. And so instead of just a brochure, you'd have this little interactive um, uh, vignette. Quickly, though, we know 95, 96, the web became really just took over. So we just pivoted our business to the web because it was really just another delivery mechanism, right? Instead of doing design and development and coding and putting on a, a little mini uh, CD or diskette, you put it up on the web. And my business partner learned HTML over a weekend. And so it was really myself, my business partner, Thomas Obrey. I was the sales business guy. He was the delivery guy. I didn't want his job. He didn't want my job. So it was kind of a good um, um, unmatched, right? We had the difference, different personalities, different uh, styles. And, uh, and that's how we started. And then we that's awesome. just really grew the company and evolved it through all the evolutions of the web and technologies. Um, you know, for the next 15 years or so, being kind of a broadly based digital agency is how I would describe us mm -hmm. um, in a services, professional services business. The challenge with that is you, you're, you're almost become too broad. You're doing too many things and you're not as focused. So gradually I started to 
see what other firms are doing and kind of where we were having a few chinks in what we were doing. And what happened is people were starting to specialize. The ecosystems had grown enough where you could specialize in a single area and get really good at it. So I'll summarize this real quick and then we can backtrack. We ended up landing in e-commerce, specifically e-commerce on a platform called Demandware, uh, which was a Boston-based e-commerce tech platform. We became a partner. They worked with medium to large brands like Company Store, Skechers, Vince. So medium medium to large brands, Bauer Hockey. Mm-hmm. And then Salesforce bought Demandware, and that kind of propelled us into the world of Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Of course, Salesforce has huge momentum. They needed all the professional services and power and partners they could get their hands on. So that put a very big uh, growth trajectory on what we could do in a very specialized area. So you talk about 20 years of fumbling and fumbling through business and learning everything you can to five or six of being super focused and narrow. And I can tell you, we've made more. You talk talk about enterprise value creation and what we've done. We've done more in the last probably three to five years than we probably did in the first 20. So that's amazing. That's awesome to hear and congrats on all that. And and you and I have talked about this before, but I, I get a huge chuckle slash smile slash regret when I think about uh, looking at the salesforce.com website in 2005 for one of my businesses and deciding to do a free trial and test out the platform and not investing $1 in their stock, just kind of <laughs> using their platform and seeing what it is today and how much they've grown and how powerful that tool is. And we're just regretting that I never invested money in their stock. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all have those stories for sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, a lot of amazing stuff there. I, you know, one of the areas I'm definitely going to want to dive into is you know, over 28 years starting in your basement or in your garage with you and your co-founder and maybe one or two other people to now, I think over 400 people in your business, 28 years later. And the comment you just made, which is, you know, the enterprise value you created, we created more in the last three to five years than we did in the first 25. And you sc- you sit here and you scratch your head and you go, wait a minute, uh, 25 years to get to that sweet spot where you can actually hit in all cylinders. That takes patience, that takes perseverance, that takes a whole bunch of things. What did it take for you to kind of see it through the good times, the bad times, the pivots, the this, the that? What, what was the key thing for you that kept you going in this entrepreneurial yeah. journey with Pixel? Um, I, I do think I enjoy the, the entrepreneur, you know, being an entrepreneur in, in a sense that, you know, it's problem, it's problem solving effectively, right? You're just solving the next problem in front of you. Um, and you know, the, the satisfaction. Now, now you're right. It is hard, right? It grinds on you after a while. But I also feel like at some point I like being a little bit more, um, you know, helping helping set the path for, for myself and others, you know, that we're kind of in this with together is helping create something together. So I just like being in that position. And, you know, at some point you get so far into it after so many years, you, you almost feel like you're not employable really by a traditional, in a traditional way. So like, I, I got to keep this going now, right? Um, in one way or the other. So yeah. it's a combination of just that desire to 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 build something. And I've looked back on all the other side things I've done around Pixel and involved in a startup bank, involved in a startup nonprofit, helped build a building at UNH and fundraise. It's always around startup and building. I just, again, you don't see these things when you're doing it. You only see it when you look backwards and go, hmm, there's, a, there's sort of a pattern there. Yeah. Um, I, I think I just gravitate to things that are about building and, and, and entrepreneurial um, and that's that's what this is at its at its very best. Even when it's small, it fought fifty people or eighty people. It's 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 still that's what it's about. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. And you know, 
when you talk about starting with animated presentations, and I can't remember the last time I've heard the word CD-ROM, by the way, <laughs> it's been a long time. You know, when you're talking to somebody who's talking about that, they started their business a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, moving to the web and then moving to different products. And you mentioned something, you became too broad. And Rich and I talk about this a lot with different entrepreneurs on this podcast. And I certainly have been a, 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 a victim of this myself is as entrepreneurs, there's this shiny object syndrome of, oh my gosh, we could do this. Oh my gosh, we could do this. We might as well, if we're going to build software, we might as well build computers too. And then you start going all these different verticals. You start being spread yourself all over the place. And then you're basically mediocre at everything. You can't really create market, you know, those kinds of things. How did you guys become too broad? Was that kind of the same example of being entrepreneurial? And then how, and then how did you have the discipline to say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's just go straight into this one box. How did that happen? Well, I think when you're a services business and you're just starting out from scratch and you're you know, 24 years old, you, you don't even know anything, right? So you're just, you're basically saying yes to the work coming at you that's somewhere in the range of what you can deliver on, partly just to get projects, get work, try new things, experiment with new, you know, just really to build any kind of business you can and kind of whatever comes at you. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit determined by, okay, we're going to live in this digital creation space. So let's just do everything in, in digital creation. Now, there wasn't a lot of different tools anyway. So you just dabbled with everything that came along. So you didn't really know what was going to be the winner. Yeah. But by 15 years later, you say, well, now each of these tools has its own, you know, show and event and ecosystem. And we can't be experts at them all if we're still only 50 or 80 people. And we hadn't, you know, we'd still been kind of growing very gradual. So the way we, we made the pivot is sometimes you got to just feel the pain, right? You're, you've been around a long time. So everyone's coming to you saying, hey, we'd love to work at a great reputation. And then we, we'd lose a deal. It's like, well, you guys are great, but we're going to work with this company because they're specialists. And you hear that enough to go geez, we're not really specialists anymore. We used to be because we were new to that area, but we're not, we're not specialists. We're, we're doing too many things too broad. So mm. what I said to my partners, look, we're either going to decide what we're going to be good at or our customers are going to decide for us. And if we let them decide, it's going to be a lot more painful and, and, a lot, and take a lot longer. So I said, why don't we look at ourselves you know, in, in introspective and say, what, what do we feel we're good at and best suited for? And we had this partnership with, around e-commerce. We said, those are our best clients. You know, why don't we just put all our energy into getting more of those, these e-commerce brands, partly because what they would do is they'd finish their website and they'd sign a, a, a support contract because e-commerce, they're insatiable. There's just more to do, more features to add, you know, more payment process or you know, more payment types. Whereas a website you'd build and it was almost like you'd hand it back to the customer and they'd be like, hey, we'll take it from here. Mm. So, and these aren't things that you can pick up. It's kind of, again, I think another, another skill of most is pattern recognition. you you see patterns that more quickly than maybe other people can pick up on you. Go, okay. The pattern here is the, is this, we have to, to navigate here. It doesn't happen that clearly, but you kind of bump your way there. So we landed in this e-commerce space with this platform and my partner, and I said, look, why don't we focus here? But before we announce it to our, the whole company, let's, let's, let's just put more energy into this, see if we can build more momentum, get it to instead of from 20% of our business to 30, 40, 50%, we can get to 50%. Now we can feel, we can say with some substance, this is where we're going. We're going to start to let the other stuff attrition away mm. and stay focused here. So it was a bit of just kind of observing the tea leaves around us. You know, obviously e-commerce was trending up. Um, yep. It was, believe it or not, it was fun to work, work with big brands, Stonewall Kitchens and the Skechers and Red Wing Shoes. Like, oh, okay, now we're a partner. They're, they're bringing us these bigger clients. So combination of things and then just kind of paying attention to where your strengths are. And we were, we were more tuned to bigger projects, um, more sophisticated projects than we were kind of smaller websites. Um, so that's kind of the path we went down. 
Yeah, very interesting. I mean, Rich, it's it's remind the two words that come out of my mind when Eric just went through that is patience and focus on strengths. Yeah, yeah. The word focus, I got to say, I I must have used the word focus. I mean, it's probably the most used word I I use to get to here from where we were. Like, we got to focus. We got to focus. We got to focus. And the more narrow, the better. Because at one point, it's going to be all forms of e-commerce, right? There's, there's probably a dozen different e-commerce technologies out there too. We actually started down that and we said, no, let's just do one <laughs> because this one's big enough to keep us busy and there's a lot of momentum, a lot of growth. Um, you could also say it was, you know, fortune goes to the bull. I mean, the fact that Salesforce bought the partner that we had gotten behind wasn't a bad coincidence. You know, hey, you so, have to create your own luck sometimes. That's right, that's right. So. You know, as you talk through uh, some of the ebbs and flows of the 28-year business, uh, it makes me curious to ask you about what are you most proud of, either in your journey or what you've developed as it stands today? Um, well, certainly, you know, the, 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 uh, the pivots we made along the way, which not all were as obvious as this one, but certainly there's several in there and to sort of navigate those. So you're talking. 94, you went through the tech bust in the 2000s, you went through the financial crisis in 2007, you went through, you know, 13, 14 wasn't really a crisis from the outside, it was our own crisis of our identity, who we're going to be, right? That's when we started to make the decision. So pretty, pretty, you know, some, some, some times that you kind of get weathered and you kind of build some scar tissue. The partnership with my, with my partner starting Pixel Media, Thomas, and it goes by TJ, I mean, you know, I can say to this day, we're like, you know, best friends from the standpoint of, um, you know, we can, we can discuss an issue, discuss a topic and have, and not necessarily agree, but that's just because we're trying to get to the best decision, right? It's not because there's a, there's any, uh, any animosity, but, but that's been a strength of our, our partnership today. We've brought in these other, brought other companies into the mix and I've got amazing, we've got amazing founders now, which is why we're getting so much more momentum that had started their own company, went on their own journey. Actually, some of them not that dissimilar to Pixel, just in complementary Salesforce areas. And what we've done now, and they went, and then they 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 lived through all the same scar tissue that we lived through on their own. And we've now brought that together, and we're all now sort of the the founders of what is becoming this new organization that's focused purely around uh, multi-cloud e-commerce on Salesforce. And it's more than what we we did. It's it's a broader view because Salesforce is sort of rounding out their their commerce strategy and we're building around that. So, you know, m- many proud moments, Rich, I hope I hit a sum, but it's, it's, it's the relationships you build along the way. It's the decisions looking back that you didn't know for sure would that work out and you sort of go, you know, you're kind of proud that, okay, you did make a, a couple of good ones along the way. And, um, and just the being in kind of an exciting industry of commerce. And but I, I guess I didn't mention going through COVID, you know, the COVID time as well. That was kind of scary for a couple of months. A silver lining there is, e-commerce businesses in general grew <laughs> along with the service providers through e-commerce. So once the dust settled that, okay, life will go on, we'll get through this. It became almost a bit of a boost um, to the company. I think one of the things you said was uh, amazing founders. Were you referencing uh, people who were employees at one time of your company who have moved on to found their own companies? Um, no, well, so originally it was just me and one of co-founder in Pixel for the first 27 years or so. And then we brought in, which we probably can get to some private equity in December of 20, 
And that's allowed us to bring in some other companies complementary to Pixel. And those founders have come along kind of for the ride as well. So I'm, I'm, I feel like we're all sort of, uh, you know, uh, kismet in terms of we've, we're, we kind of lock arms. And it's just, it's a great relationship, not as long lasting as my original, as the original founder, but still as special because we've all lived the same journey. So we're just picking up at a different point. So it's kind of these new founders that we're now together with in this kind of new combined business. And which is what John said, that's how we've gotten from. So in December of 20, we were, you know, 85 people doing, you know, 15 million. We finish a year at, you know, 450 people doing 60 million. That, that's a big jump, but it was done through bringing some partners and some other uh, businesses in um, a company called DocMation that also does commerce on Salesforce and a company called uh, Gear Serum that does service cloud on Salesforce. So there are other parts of the Salesforce puzzle um, that we're kind of putting together for the end customer who kind of wants to get it all from one provider. And as you add new founders, I can imagine there's uh, a sense of positivity and excitement, and I expect this is going to go well, otherwise you wouldn't add new founders, but there's also an inherent risk to that. Can you talk to what are some of your business philosophies as it relates to adding founders that you leaned on? Uh, in making decisions about which founders to add and that gave you the confidence, hey, if they fit kind of these criteria, if this decision goes through these type of filters of business philosophies, it's a good one. We're going to go with it. What are those business philosophies that you lean on? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, yeah. And then again, I should context, you know, when I say bring on founders, so these are founders of their own companies we're bringing together, but we're all rolling sort of equity into the new thing. So effectively, we're all the, the kind of the, the folks and along with the, the private equity company. Um, well, a few things. Um, certainly, you know, and I'm referencing now what I, what I heard from John. I mean, we, we've taken our time, right? We actually, you know, in terms of even the private equity partner, talking to the founders of the other companies. I do think I have a philosophy of kind of like attracts like in that. I don't think I'd, we'd be this founder group, this, this group of companies together if we first met and there was kind of a not such a great fit, right? You'd kind of you'd kind of instantly repel because maybe they have a different set of core values and so forth. So, so I, I do believe that you know if you continue the conversation, it probably means there's some common ground there. Um, I, I do think there's an element of you know transparency, getting to know each other, our businesses are aligned, you know, just relationship building that that. You know, it's a it's a skill, right? I mean, you develop it over time. How to connect with people quickly and get to know them, and let them get to know you, and be comfortable um, sharing a bit about yourself. Because at the end of the day, if, if they don't, if you share something and they don't like it, or they should, then you probably shouldn't continue down that path anyway. So it's better to it's better to be more open and transparent than the alternative because you're only doing yourself a disservice, right? So I think being a little more vulnerable, sharing a bit more about your background, just opens the door for people to say, "Hey, this is someone who I could." Be in business with for a long time, um, so it's so it's kind of a bit of comfort with yourself that be who you are, and then you know let 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 the gravitational pulls of kind of people that will like attract like kind of come together. Um, um, obviously, looking out for your own warning signs, right? If someone's trying to you know uh, pull, pull something over on you, you got to pay attention to that too. But I think that just comes with time and experience and getting other people's input and other people's uh, opinions, right? So yeah. not, don't try to make all those decisions on your own. So I just want to recap that. Four things I heard. Tell me if I missed something. One sure. is don't change who you are. Be yourself. Uh, believe that like attracts like. If people are in your sphere, uh, it may be for a reason. 
and to explore that more. And then you talked about transparency and shared values. As you hear those back, do those resonate to you as your core philosophies? Yeah, it, it, well, it does. And um, sometimes it takes someone to explain it back to you to really feel it because, you know, I'll, like it's kind of like um, I, I know what I do every day, but I probably couldn't teach teach it. You know, like it's I couldn't turn into a, a course uh, at a university, but it's like you just kind of you just get up every day and you kind of go about your day and you're doing certain things and you're interacting in certain ways. Um, but these are skills, right, that entrepreneurs have and they acquire over time, even though they're very nuanced and sometimes they don't know exactly what's what's leading them down that path. Um, but yeah, Rich, I think that's, you know, you're kind of right on. Yeah, thanks for that. So I want to come back, Eric. Um, one of the interesting parts, I think, of the story is that you became too broad, right? You You had this generalist kind of business at some point. You face this identity crisis. You're like, okay, we need to focus. Let's get specialized. And you found where you want to specialize based on some successes you were having. And, and when she became very specialized and then you decided we're actually going to go find a bunch of specialists and bring them all back together so we can actually provide a broad set of services. So you kind of like almost are going back, but now you're doing it with entrepreneurs, uh, founders, we're calling them in this conversation that have specialized all in their domain to bring different founders of specialization back together so you can provide a well-rounded service. It's kind of, you know, what's interesting in that, I guess, is it's very hard for one founder with one business and one focus to accomplish it all. When you bring everybody together to focus on different issues, it seems like you can. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it is. And, um, I, and you know, obviously we're, we're much bigger, we're broader, but at the same time, we are still today, I can still summarize today what we do in a sentence versus what I, I couldn't you know, back then, even when we had 50 people, yep. when someone said, what do you guys do? I said, well, it depends on what you want. Today, someone says, what do you do? I said, we do multi-cloud uh, Salesforce services for e-commerce. It's, yep. And if you don't want that, we can't help you. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's a great, it's a, it, it feels good to be able to do that. And by the way, that world is huge, you know? Yeah. So you, you kind of only need to, need to expand so much as that the, the, the addressable market is big enough for you to build your business around. Um, Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, if otherwise you just you said you drown an opportunity, right? We could we could expand into all parts of Salesforce, but you know what? People would then forget what we stand for and wouldn't know when to pick up the phone and call us versus the other thousand Salesforce partners. So we're staying yeah. uh, kind of in this narrow space. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and there's a clarity component with the focus in terms of team. Uh, I remember you know, years ago, I had brought you a project that I needed uh, in the mobile app space, right? And your company graciously helped us with this product. And I can remember maybe a year and a half in or so when I called you about, hey, we need version two of this. You're like, hey, um, you should probably go over here, right? Uh, We're not specializing this anymore. It's kind of when you were starting your pivot phase. And, And one thing you said to me then resonates with me now, which is, in addition to it being very hard to focus your marketing attention, there's so many shows and there's so many different, if you're not focused, there's your team that lacks clarity on who are we? Like, what are we recruiting for? And, and you probably had a bunch of generalists on your team that weren't trained in any specific area. I'm sure that's assisted in that area as well uh, in terms of your team being specialists uh, in addition to your marketing message. Is that, I'm assuming that's a fair. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, John. It almost helps every other decision get easier because you know who you want to hire, you know what shows you want to go to, you know who your customers are, you know. You take all this energy that's almost being lost and 
and narrow. So it's almost like, you know, it's the magnifying glass, right? It's like you take all that energy, you just pinpoint it. And it's like, it's so much more powerful than being sort of spread out. It doesn't even have an impact, right? Yeah. What, you know, what show would we even go to back in 2010? <laughs> there was too yeah. many. Where now I say to my team, just go to the Salesforce shows because you can just trip over people that we're going to have an impact, whether it's a sales rep that wants to talk to us, whether it's a customer that's evaluating the platform, whether it's an existing customer that's there to visit on what's coming next. It, it, you know, now we go to some other commerce and so forth related shows, but it, it, it can get very narrow. But how, how are you recruiting? Um, and again, the ta- like you said, John, the talent you're bringing in, you know exactly the talent you, you want to continue to yeah. bring on. Yeah, well, focus, clarity, simplicity, it all come, come, comes into that. I have to imagine, though, uh, and I could get this wrong, and it doesn't have to be exactly accurate, but you, know, you said, look, you know, of 100% of our business, where we ended up specializing, we kind of had like 20% was, of the, uh, was kind of where we were focused. And then we kind of grew it to 50% and we said, okay, now let's make the switch. How risky was this maneuver? I mean, because to pivot your business oh. and say, we're going to focus on a business that really is only 20% of our business now, but let's just kind of focus on it. And we grew it to 50%. And then you make this call. How aggressive did you pivot um, in terms of, you know, and how risky was that for you and your, and your partner? Um, it, it, you know, you're right. You're literally changing the engine on the plane while it's flying. I mean, you know, literally. And um, the way we did it was, you know, again, services, some, you know, projects have a, have a long tail to them. So, you know, what we did is focus the outbound sales energy on bring on these new clients so that, so that gradually we would sort of let the other stuff attrition away. Now, if stuff found us like, hey, can you guys do this project for us? Like if, you know, John St. Pierre called and said, hey, can you do this? We had to make a decision. Is this good to do and get in and out the door for the money? Because the money, that money will, is funding this transition. Mm-hmm. Or is it going to have a long tail on it? And by the way, are we weaning off those resources where we're going to have, you know, an unhappy client? It's going to be around forever and it's going to slow us down in terms of our, our pivot, right? So we, and those are hard decisions to make because you're sort of turning away work to create the opportunity for the, for the new work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is hard, especially when your muscle memory is to say yes to everything that was, had been coming at you for the first, for the 15 to 20 years before that. Yeah. Even our own employees were like, yeah, this won't work. Eric and TJ, they'll, they'll just say yes to everything because they'll want to take the project. Right? I mean, that's what they thought. I mean, and then they probably were right in thinking that until we proved otherwise. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it is hard. It's hard to change our own trajectory. It's hard to change, um, you know, the, the minds of the employees. What we landed on, somehow, you, you know, again, you navigate these things. We landed on this phrase, um, helping um, lifestyle brands launch, manage, and grow their digital commerce. And that was kind of the first pivot tagline. And even that felt good when we said it. It was like, that feels good. And the reason was launch was to get customers onto the platform. Manage was to do all the ongoing managed services and grow was all the digital marketing optimization, help them grow the online revenue. Yeah. But what that also did, all my employees, all the staff had fit into those buckets, even though they weren't doing it for all e-commerce clients, they were doing it for someone. Mm-hmm. And what we just said was, look, you still have a job. No one's losing. This pivot does not mean we still don't need you. You're just going to do it now for e-commerce clients. And so goes our specialization. So goes your specialization. Yep. If we're good at this and it's, this works, your value goes up too. Because guess what? You're now specialized. You know, you're 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 a heart surgeon, not a general practitioner, right? Sure. And and that's just the way of the world these days is, is specialization. So yep. I'd say, you know, thirty percent we're already doing commerce. 
30% wanted to go along for that ride. And there was a percent that said, hey, I like that other stuff we were doing. And they did off board. Mm-hmm. But everybody off boarded kind of at their own pace and time. And um, we didn't have to do it for them. And yep. and that's fine. You know, that's healthy. And that allowed us to bring in other talent that fit the, where we were going. So it just kind of all kind of worked its way in. Got it. So for 25 some years, I, I don't know exactly when um, you partnered with us, an equity partner, but for 25 some years, you're running your business solo. You're like, yeah. okay, we're going to go, you get too broad, you pivot, you pivot, recession, different things happening over that long period of time. At some point you make a decision, you know what, maybe it's time to bring on an equity partner and put this thing on, on, on the, you know, maybe put the pedal down to the metal kind of, so to speak. How did that decision come about and why did you make that decision? So, um, so it came about because when we made, when we made this pivot, so now we became sort of a this originally demand where only commerce partner, um, we said, okay, we're going to build a lot more momentum around here. When Salesforce um, bought demand where what happened was, um, a lot of the big, big, big Salesforce partners went looking for established demand where partners to kind of round out their offering. Okay. So it created a little bit of a frenzy to like, Oh, how can they build that into their practice? And it's, you know, it's a buy versus build. So they basically said, we're going to go buy this 50 person partner and this one and so forth. But uh, TJ and I were a little more like, let's, let's, let's keep running this thing out of it. We got a lot more, you know, momentum and energy and let's, let's keep building it. So we sort of stayed just on our independent track, uh, which is hard because these are big clients and they're going to sign on with a 75, 80 person firm. I mean, we're doing, you know, sketchers and, you know, these big brands. I mean, you got to really demonstrate your capability and your, your ability to deliver on that. But there weren't that many partners. This wasn't a, this wasn't like a technology you can just kind of download the software and we'll become a partner. This was, you had to go through a vetting process and do a project. And so that was good because in services, there's not a lot of barriers to entry, but in this particular area, there actually sort of was a little bit. Yeah. But when that happened, we were kind of evaluating, okay, these, these partners are getting picked up by these bigger Salesforce partners. There's actually a market for our business now, right? But prior to that, we were just kind of this generalist services company. So this like, all right, let's, we got that on our, on our mind. Fast forward a few more years and we're like, this is getting you know bigger than a bread box and we could use some more capital to now build this out because it's getting bigger. Clients want this multi-cloud and we just had time to sort of, you know, after 25 years, if, if, if there's real value here, maybe there's time to take something off the table and then, you know, push it forward. So we actually began a process in 2019. We we're about to do something in January of 2020. We know what happened then and everything went quiet. We just stopped the process. Came back in June of 20 and after everything kind of settled in, we had grown the business by 30% in the year. So we're like, we were more valuable then. Um, interesting story. I would have thought we would have been bought by like a strategic or something, you know, like a big player. And, but private equity came on and said, hey, look, you guys could keep building this out, be entrepreneurs, stay involved. And now that we've grown at 30%, it was like, yeah, maybe now, you know, we can put that off to the side and it's, it's, it's still exciting. So that's what we decided to do. But in essence, we've been vetting folks for almost a year. So I had a lot of practice yeah. getting to know people, doing what I was talking with Rich about, share yeah. about, about myself. Do they like me? Do I like them? You know, doing that. And you quickly weed out who's not a fit. Either they never, either they disappear sure. or you disappear, right? One or the other, you know, you say, I, I kind of gravitate to these folks. And um, yeah. we landed with a, yeah, a great firm. They've lived up to everything. And they're the ones that's helped us execute, you know, work bringing these other companies in. And um right. So it's just, it's just been amazing, yeah. Sounds like a great partner. And so to to make sure I understood what that was, you know, when you came to the decision of, hey, 
we either have a choice. We can sell to a strategic. We've created enough value. We're going to sell to a strategic. And that basically means get an employment contract for a couple of years, but now you're an employee of another company. But going back to where you started, look, I'm an entrepreneur. I love being yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. There was another option, which is, look, yeah, get some chips off the table, but continue to be an entrepreneur, continue to build. Yeah. What else are you going to do, right? You sell your business, you know, what would you want to start? I'd want to start Pixel Media all over again. This is what right. I love doing. Uh, so you made the decision to continue the entrepreneurial route and and well-rounded out. So I love that story yeah. and appreciate you sharing. Thank you. Yeah. So you're three years in now to this next era in your business, just three years in. Um, so although it's a 28-year business, you're in this new era. Um, what is your take on what is your biggest risk to your business today? Like what keeps you up at night? What are you having to plan around? And then ultimately, how do you mitigate that risk or those risks? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Rich. And, and in fact, yeah, from the original starting the search three years, but in fact, you know, in reality, the, the investment came in December of 20. So we're only like 14 or 15 months since that. And um, it's been a, a really great, great journey since then. Yeah, so but, this is hot. This is new. Like, oh, it's, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, well, first of all, it's a whole new way for, for us to think about building a business for all of us, all the folks now involved, including myself, which is, you know, used to think about, you know, hiring one person at a time. And and now we've just assembled this really all-star group of capabilities, which we just call practices within the bigger company. And we've got shared HR and shared finance and so forth. So now every practice can rely on kind of a shared backed office, but have their practice deep, you know, have that deep domain expertise. And, um, but what keeps us up, certainly it's a talent war right now. And we're a, a people company, right? So we are a services business. Um, we do build some IP around specific parts of Salesforce where there's gaps in the technology. So we invest in that. Um, one of the groups, the, doc, the Docmation team with Jay Prasad and Vikram had a big uh, operation in India. So that accelerated our ability to leverage an India team, which is just great to get more capacity, kind of follow the sun capabilities. Um, but it, it's, it's, really the, it's really having the talent at the right time because these, these projects, ebb and flow and services is a, is a, is a tricky you know, balance. You either have too, too much work for too few people or too few people, you know, for too much work. And, and it's like, um, it, it's just, it's never, it's never perfect. Um, or you have too, or you have too many people and not enough work, right? So you're, you're sort of always chasing one. Um, Is that and, a new risk though, Eric? Like, wasn't that, wasn't there a similar risk to that in the first 25 years? No, yeah, you're actually right. You're actually, you're actually right. No, that risk hasn't changed. I think now it requires a, just a little more foresight and planning. Um, back in the day, Tom and I could hire a person on Tuesday to start a project on Wednesday. Now you got to be way out ahead of your planning and, and budgeting and things like that. So it's kind of the sophistication of planning and resourcing and mm. so forth. So as you sit around as a founders group, and maybe you haven't done a SWOT analysis per se, but you're sitting around as a founders group, excited to get going. Um, I get having talent is goes on the threat list of the SWOT analysis. What else is on the threat list in this new era that, that that's new to you that you're like, hey, this I didn't have to worry about uh, previously. And, and here's a threat that's kind of new that we're going to have to navigate. Yeah. Um, well, just in general, the projects, the work that sells gets, gets more sophisticated, right? So now you're talking about work that spans all three practices where before we each knew our piece of the business and that's all we all we did. So we knew our world. Now we're having to build a sort of shared P 
PMO shared practice that can kind of reach across everybody and kind of pull all that together because we want it to, it's got to be a common experience to the customer. You know, when they're working with us, we can't have them jumping across the three practices. So, so, um, so it's kind of bringing that together. Um, you know, navigating this kind of global talent is, is different, right? You know, and how do you balance, um, you know, the, the, the talent in the U.S.? I mean, it's just, just, it's just scarce, it's scarcity. So you're trying to reach across and find other parts of the world that you can build the talent teams in. Um, but it's funny, Rich, in, in some ways, a bigger business is more resilient to the day-to-day blows, right? Because you're bigger. It's like a, it's like a bigger boat in the ocean versus a small rubber raft, right? A bigger boat can take bigger waves and bigger things. And so you can focus on kind of the the longer term when you're small. um, And you also have a better team to put in place, right? You've got true professionals that you put into all the areas, CFO operations. And, 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 and what that allows is you as a CEO, you can really operate as a CEO. You can really operate as a leadership team because you've got really good people in place running things. Whereas before in a small 50 person business, 80 people, Anything that's not getting done, pretty much the founders jump in and do <laughs> poorly, probably. Um, so you're kind of always running around. So this, in some ways, as the business gets bigger, it's more resilient and you can kind of weather more blows and kind of navigate a little more cleanly, you know, through the, you know, the, the rougher times. And you've got more mind share at the table. That's what I love about having all the other entrepreneurs at the table. They've lived a different set of experiences than me. I've, you know, we've all lived different things. When we come together with a problem, they go, oh, I've already got to solve for that because they've already lived that one. And it just kind of accelerates the momentum. Thanks for that. Uh, what's your take on your competition? And like where you rank in your competition? I, you don't need to name names. I'm just curious on like, where are you as it relates to your competition? How are you making sure you're staying ahead of those chasing you? How are you positioning yourself to take over those ahead of you? So I think staying where, where we're trying to carve our path is by this staying focused on uh, this multi-cloud commerce on Salesforce, which, which still involves a lots of parts of the Salesforce offering, but it always has sort of commerce at a, at a, at a core piece because that's kind of our, our, our strength. Um, so not trying to get distracted and become, well, let's just become the biggest Salesforce partner we can doing anything, right? Because that's what others ha- have done and are doing. And then they just kind of, they're in the mix, right? Of, of whatever, no, they kind of lose their, they're still a Salesforce partner, but they've kind of lost what's their specialty. What's, what's their identity in terms of within that ecosystem. So that, that's, that's an important part. Um, um, I think um, what was, well, your other question was, was about what we're doing to build to, Oh, to keep the competition kind of at bay. Um, you know, there is a health, the, the company health, the culture, you just, you do have to spend a lot of time on that, you know, in conversations, getting to know people, um, we use a system called um, EOS, which is kind of a focused entrepreneurial, you know, kind of system where it kind of drives just transparency, keep everybody informed on what's going on, give people an opportunity how they want to bubble up issues, how things roll up. It's kind of just a, it's an operating system essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's what it's really done is, is help us. Now Pixel used it and we're starting to kind of look at it for the other groups um, and roll that out. But it's just a really great communication system so that your, your information is being shared, right? Because that's what you hear a lot is people feel like, we don't know what's going on. Where are we going? What's the vision? What's going on? And we want to make sure we can always say, and we use some software to help drive that, that everybody should, have, everybody should know what's going on at all times. Doesn't, it doesn't solve every problem, but it removes some of the chaos that can happen when you're trying to bring 
400, 500 people, you know, the human chaos, you know, human capital together, there's a lot of room for, for missteps. And so the more you can kind of keep everybody grounded in what we're up to and communicate up issues, focus on the most important things. Um, you know, I find that to be a very healthy way you know, to manage a business. Just out of curiosity, are you facilitating EOS uh, yourselves or have you hired an integrator to come in and do it with you? No, we used an we used a, we used a, yeah an EOS implementer to help us roll it out, and and that person stayed with us through some some of the facilitation and so forth. But yeah, we we um, we got some outside help to, to put it in. And are you using that today, or did you guys take it and you're running with it from now? Um, well, we, we I still like using this person to facilitate meetings because um, I just think you know that's sort of facilitation thing, and they kind of keep reminding us of the the core, you know, of, of it's, it's easy to get then distracted again and kind of go off. But, but this person is now getting involved to help us roll it out to the other organization. So in a way he's staying connected to us, even though it's a little different that we're not totally new to it. Um, there's some folks in the business now that are new. So we're starting to kind of um, share that with them. So in using the common language with you of uh, EOS, can you share what's your 10 year vision that you have on there? Like what, what's the goal now? Where, where is this going for you? Well, geez, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard. I don't, I, I, you're right. EOS talks in 10 years, unfortunately still living in three to five for me is probably as far as you can realistically go the way things move and change. But, um, you know, we want to be a dominant player. Reality is that 400 people, we're still pretty small in the big scheme. I mean, there's Salesforce partners with tens of thousands of, of practitioners, right? What's unique, though, is this area, because it emanated out of a third party, this other commerce area and a few other tools, this is still new to them. So in some ways, we're as, we're as up to speed as the biggest partner in this particular area. So we want to continue to build just around this core and be a dominant player here. And, you know, it was one thing to get from, you know, 100 people to four or 500. We kind of got our sights. How do we get to a 1,500 to a couple thousand people and really maintain that focus and culture? Um, and, you know, you just have to look at the momentum Salesforce has. I mean, they, they truly are a force when it comes to sales. They, have, they, they, they know where all the opportunities are. And quite honestly, that's another interesting part is they, there's so much opportunity. We're, we're, we're typically less worried about where the, where the deals and sales is coming from. We're more thinking about how do we service it all, um, which is an interesting place to be from the first 20 years of running a business where it's like, where do I go get all the, where do I get the work? Keep everyone busy. Salesforce is really um, putting a lot behind this and, and they help support a lot of the partner activity too. So, so Eric, um, just for people who may not know, EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And, and how much of a factor was, you, I'm assuming you may have heard about it, read the book, uh, and then said, yo, let's look at this a little further. When was that relative to the major pivot? And, and and did that contribute to the pivot or that contributed to executing the pivot? It, it, it more contributed to executing the pivot. It came around 2000, I want to say 2018 or, or 19, somewhere in there. And what was happening is because we now had fallen into this really great opportunity, mm -hmm. the, um, the chaos was sort of picking up, right? Because now you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're trying to go faster and, and now people are bumping into each other and who's responsible for that and who's responsible for that. And, you know, you hear this term of accountability chart and roles and getting good definition and vision. So now we had great core values. We had, you know, had a lot of that. We were also in the process of becoming more virtual as a business, you know, even pre-COVID because you weren't going to find all that talent, you know, just up here in the Northeast. You had to kind of hire people wherever they were. 
So combination of being more virtual, not everyone in the office, going quickly, you know, the, the wheels start spinning really fast, right? And, and it's like, okay, how are we going to bring all this together? And I just happened to be on LinkedIn one day and someone who I knew and trusted who had been in the tech world had said, hey, I'm starting a practice doing this EOS thing. And I'd heard of it. And I thought, all right, this guy's a pretty practical guy. I got to look into this. You know, I, yeah. maybe this isn't just another one of those, you know, silver bullets that someone's talking about. Sure. When he rolled it out, it was such common sense business business practice, you know, accountability chart, you know, scorecard metrics, rocks, goals, have a common vision. I'm like, that's kind of the package, right? Sometimes you, um, and I've been a Vistage member in some of these other groups, and sometimes you get spot solutions, but you know, hey, you should build your core values or you run over and do that. And, oh, you should, you know, do your one page business plan, you run over and do that. Yeah. This sort of connected it all for me. And um, we just kind of leaned into it. And everybody, honestly, COVID hit, you know, within a year. Mm-hmm. And some people said, hey, they think that that grounding in that a process with metrics and state keep, they said, that's what kept us. I said, hey, keep the metrics green. Doesn't matter where we are, where we're working, what we just keep the metrics green, let's work on our rocks, what the most important things. And We'll come out the other end. And a lot of people felt like that really kind of grounded us in something versus before it was a much more loosey-goosey, yeah. you know? Well, it's also, you, you talk about, you know, focusing on your strengths and clarity and simplicity. And it sounds like the EOS tool kind of gave you kind of a roadmap that could take it out of your brain, if you will, and your team's brain and put it kind of in a, in a, in a roadmap that people could follow that made it simple for them and focused for them and clear for them. So uh, it sounds like, if you're listening to this as an entrepreneur and you're looking for that simplicity, you would recommend EOS. Is that a fair? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, you know, there's so many other areas to go, but, you know, the, the one part that kind of resonates with me, and we talked a little bit about it before uh, recording this conversation, is a few episodes ago, we recorded from chairman to CEO. And, and I talked a lot about the tortoise versus the hare and how it's very difficult for entrepreneurs in a short window of time, five, 10 years to grow a business and ultimately become a growth business. Like there's stages you have to go through your business and crossing that chasm from a lifestyle business to a growth business where you're really creating value and, uh, for your stakeholders and for yourself is, is kind of a long journey uh, that you have to have that patience and that clarity. It sounds like you're, you, know, you took that tortoise approach and part of that is having a very clear strategic plan. Uh, so it sounds like you you're on that track um, there. So I, I love that. And, and what I know about you, Eric, and, and times we've dealt together is you're very disciplined. You're very regimented. You kind of have, you know, a, a very systematic system to you and how you operate uh, as as an entrepreneur and leader. I, I wanted to do a little bit of five speed round questions with you to dig okay. into that a little bit, put okay. you on the spot, test okay. test your uh, your skills <laughs> here. Um, so in in one word answers or a sentence. Uh, answer these questions for me. What is the best, and you can't use Salesforce, what is the best, and you can't use EOS either, what is the best application on your phone or software that you use that you feel is a hack in terms of management of your business? Hack or on my phone? Phone or software that your company uses that really helps you manage your business efficiently for for me um I, geez it doesn't feel like a hack but it i might be just my my email i use okay. it almost as my to-do list um okay and, perfect and, is it but i'm going to dive a little bit deeper is there any specific way you manage your email that helps you be more efficient you just mentioned that to-do list example um well one thing i've started doing is you know when you have a, when i have a meeting on my calendar 
Yeah. I set up a parallel meeting next to it that's for me. And I put my notes in there either leading into the meeting, you know, in advance or during the meeting. I'm typing my notes. I used to get lost in terms of where all my meeting, you know, where all my thoughts go from that. And so what I've been doing is so if I have a meeting that's with the people scheduled, I have a parallel meeting for me. And that's where all my notes go. Because I might not want to put all my notes in the meeting itself with all the people. And um, what it's done is it keeps a complete log of everything that's going on in that meeting. And when I'm preparing for the meeting, I had a parallel meeting to this to go back and check out your podcast. So I'd seen it before, a couple yep. of thoughts I had that came out of it. So when I, when this was coming up, I said, oh, this is things I want to. Oh, I love that. I, I, lo- I love the way sometimes you're like searching, okay, where are my notes? I got to have this conversation to put them right yeah. there in your calendar. We'll love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've known Pixel Media from visiting your office and seeing the pool table and the ping pong table and, and the cafe area you had. And obviously, I'm sure COVID disrupted some of that. But you, you, you have definitely had cultures where when I talk to people who worked at Pixel Media, it's like, this is a great place to work. Yeah. What is the one biggest factor you'd encourage entrepreneurs to consider in terms of building a strong culture? I, I think get those core values in, in, in the open um, and kind of work them into things. Um, when we started, so well, that'd be my, if you're looking for the one short words, I'd say get, yeah. get core values out to the surface and make them really um, um, special. To, to it's, it's about the people. It's the things that already exist. It's not creating them for the, fun, the most fanciest words. It's things that already exist in your company that the best people do all the time. And if you can describe what the best people do all the time, that's probably the core values that you want to see. Love it. Okay. Thank you. Biggest business influence that you've had in your life? You know, I forget when it came out, this, 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 you know, this kind of law of attraction thing, but it, it, it you know, you started hearing that theme a lot more and, and it was, it's in all the other books too. It's in every book sure. basically, but the theme of that really came to the surface. And, and that really helped me think about, it's just about where you focus your energy and that's kind of what draws in. And you ask, you know, how'd you stumble into these things? It's just, it's where your energy and, and time is being, what you're thinking about just kind of draws certain solutions and answers to you for, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't, that didn't otherwise appear, you know, yeah. like it, 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 it's, it's not clear to you until you start thinking about it consciously. So I was like, Oh, it's like, it's like when you buy a Jeep and then you see 10 Jeep driving down the road, it's okay. in your consciousness. And, and all of a sudden, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Kind of yeah. Thing. Rich, I forget what that's called. What's that called when you buy a Jeep and you see Jeeps everywhere? Your reticular activating system. There it is. Yeah. I knew you'd remember that. But yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, next one. If you had to do one thing over again as an entrepreneur, what would that one thing be? I think I, I, I probably early on was a little more was not as much myself, not as comfortable. And I think that just took a while to learn and get comfortable um, and realize that you're not doing anyone any favors by, by trying to, you know, position. And then once you really got comfortable, that so I think it's just being comfortable being yourself and let that draw in, um, you know, what, where you're going. So be more vulnerable in your early years. Is that maybe? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think I tried to be a little more, you know, carry a certain, you know, yeah. just, just be a little more protected and guarded. And by the way, I still am to some degree. So let's, let's face it. I'm not, but yeah, yeah. a lot more well, when I get into certain environments. So. I, I share that one with you. That's one thing that if I had to do it over again, I, I, you know, I share that one. It is kind of be a little more vulnerable in my entrepreneurial years uh, prior. Um, last one. What's the single biggest nugget of advice you would give an entrepreneur now that wants to grow their business and create equity value for themselves? I, I, I truly will come back to this word focus because one, the world has gotten so big and complex that you will get completely lost in the noise if you, if you don't 
find something to zero in on and something you kind of touched on. You can, you can build from a focus. You can build from a position of strength. I mean, if you like, like we did, we found a focus, got really good at it, and now we're building onto it. You can't really do it the other way. You can't be super broad and, and there's nothing really to build around. So just starting out with something super focused that you can find, you know, I think, I don't know if you said, but the riches and the niches or something, yeah. it's like, you, you, you got to get narrow, find something you get really good at and um, get known for that. Love it. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on. Congratulations on what you've built. I can't wait to see where you take it from here now that you're kind of rocking with uh, with your businesses and the different founders and bringing this group together. So congratulations yeah. on all that. This was a fun conversation and I look forward to tracking yeah. your success here. Thank no, you. I appreciate it, John. Yeah, thanks for it. I feel, I feel like, John, we had the conversation we've been trying to have for, for like last year or so to catch up and have coffee, but now we just had it. So <laughs> I'll still do coffee. Yeah, awesome. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Rich, pivot your business now and focus. Absolutely resonates with me. I know way too many businesses, way too many entrepreneurs. I have been there. You become a generalist. You say yes to everything. You go wide. You try and go deep in everything. And the next thing you know, your expenses are off the chain. Your marketing's off. You're you're just way off in so many different directions. Eric found this niche, specialized in it focused on it and created the most value in his business after 28 years by just focusing on that one niche that he knew he could be the best in the world at. Love that. And I think way too many entrepreneurs fall victim to this yes syndrome, the shiny object syndrome. And it's so important. So if you are an entrepreneur listening to this and your business isn't focused enough, and you probably can never get too focused, he said something along the lines of the more narrow, the better. Uh, I truly believe that because you can be the best in the world in that narrow spot and you'll really create value and actually simplify your life. I'd love for you to expand on the idea of pivot now and focus. Like as I heard you say it and I was listening and thinking and going, man, if that were a title of a keynote speech or a title of a book, they almost sound a little bit contradicting. Like Mm. pivot now. So like, (laughs) Be disfocused from what you're doing and focus. And then there's almost a journey of businesses needing to pivot and then focus and then pivot and focus. Like, how does that work? You've you've had more businesses and more pivots and required to focus more than I have. Like, how does that how do you pivot and focus sequentially and actually be focused at any point? Great question. I I think the word pivot may or may not be the right word in the context of what I threw out. But if I was to ch- take your challenge and answer it, in Eric's case, he didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? Don't worry about e-commerce. Why don't we open up a restaurant? Like he didn't pivot his business to something completely off chain. He pivoted his business model to simplify it and focus in one specific vertical that at one point was 20% of his business, but he had grown it to 50%. He's like, this is the way we can, we're going to succeed here. Let's put all of our energy into this. And from a business model perspective, let's change our business model, i.e. pivot. Let's change our business model to get hyper-focused in this niche. So I think the word pivot sometimes can be misleading because it sounds like you're completely changing. Uh, Whereas here, the pivot of the business model was, look, we used to say yes to everything and now we're not. Now we're going to focus right here and simplify. So pivot, simplify, Mm. but there's no doubt 
that way too many entrepreneurs, if they look at their budgets or look at their plans for the year, like we're doing way too many things for way too many types of people. If we focus and narrow that down in, we'll be more successful. I love that. And when you read a book or you listen to a podcast, it's kind of like sometimes you get what you need to out of it. And maybe you didn't hear everything, but you got what you needed to out of it. When you describe that and reiterated the idea simplify, I can tell you that really resonates with me. Simplify and focus. Because I can tell you for myself, on a scale of making things too simple or too complex, I'm generally on the complex end. And I think I could use some of the advice as you described it, however, from Eric, Mm -hmm. is to simplify and focus. And that is a key. Yeah, true. Um, and, and, and I think it, whether you use the word simplify or you use the word pivot, um, I think it's really important. And I think EOS may do this. Uh, we use a tool called the three to five year strategic planning was more Rockefeller habits. You need to know directionally where you're going and you need to revisit that on a frequent basis. And I love that we got to the fact that he's using the EOS system and software that goes along with it and their structure throughout the organization Again, you seem to have a lot more experience in that than I do in terms of the EOS system. But you know, knowing Eric and knowing other entrepreneurs out there that just like to have things very structured, way too many entrepreneurs go and they have a budget and they have financials, but they don't have any other tools that are assisting them with a roadmap. Uh, so I know of EOS, I have a three to five year strategic plan. Are there other tools that you're aware of? And how does your organization use strategic planning? Do you do the same process? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of tools that are out there and available, and I think it depends on the individual um, and the individual's preferences. If it's somebody who has a high preference for self-structure over external structure, if they have high idea orientation, maybe high abstract reasoning, so they like complex issues, uh, that person should probably look at four or five of them and make their own. Uh, Because you're never going to find one that you like if those are your preferences. If you're somebody that has more of a preference for external structure or you are lower on idea orientation, you prefer a historical reference. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of good things out of a box, but those that uh, prefer self-structure, none of them are great because the only thing that's great is how they customize it themselves. So I, I wouldn't necessarily endorse anyone. I've seen yep. some out of the box ones work and I and a bunch of the entrepreneurs who I work with are very self-structured. Yep. So they'll create their own that ultimately works better for them. You know, when we when we talked a few weeks ago when I was given, you know, five things I'd never do again and five things I would do. Uh it is amazing how many boxes Eric checks on the things that I learned that I would do. Um, I, I just love that. Like number one was patient ambition as an example. Uh, you know, one of them was a three to five year strategic planner and his model is the EOS model where that's three to it's funny. You asked for the 10 year and he says, well, I still look at things in three to five years Yeah, <laughs> because 10 yeah. years is too long for me. And just that perseverance as an entrepreneur to see this through, see that through, see this recession through, see this time period through dot-com crash all 28 years is a long time, Rich. Oh yeah. I mean, I think Quite honestly, I don't think we met when Eric started this business and we've known each other for 25 years or so, yeah. right? So it's an incredibly long period of time. When you hear him talking about CD-ROMs and that, that's where his business started, 
And and the reason why I like the word pivot is you just you just kept pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and pivoting until he found success for his business. And when I talked in that episode about having a lifestyle business that yes, you have a business, it pays you a good salary, you're making a good living, you've created a lifestyle business, crossing over from that lifestyle business to a growth business where you're really creating significant value for the stakeholders, your team, your investors, it's a very difficult thing to do. And if you try and do it in a short period of time and rush it, you're trying to raise capital too quick. Like if Eric tried to raise capital 20 years ago, he wouldn't necessarily be in the position he's in today, I don't believe. Like he really took that slow methodological methodological approach to building his business to achieve that success. And there's very few entrepreneurs that have that patient ambition to do it. And from what I heard from him, part of what the building in the future needs to include is the acquisition of the right talent. I, I wish I would have asked the follow-up question when he said something about talent is scarce in the U.S. Because, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not uh, uh, globally educated in terms of work markets in anywhere other than the U.S. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that is interesting, that statement that he feels it's restricted here. And that talent was the number one risk when I asked him, what are some of the risks now? Uh, Although it's not new and he could take more hits because he's a bigger ship, it's Mm -hmm. still the number one thing. And it actually ties back to him saying, we worry now about can we service all the business? We're not worried about can we get it? We're worried about how to service it, which ties back to, do I have enough talent? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been great to to dive there because I know just talking to Eric over the years, Talent has been, you know, one of the business's biggest struggle because as as things have changed and we are more in a freelance society, right? Especially in programming and technology, a lot of uh, people have decided I'm just going to freelance and 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 go on to to these websites where I can actually just get work versus work for a company. And that's why I mentioned it too. You know, I, I was really impressed over the years with the culture he created, like. Pixelmania is a place you want to go work. Uh, really good culture. And, and the COVID impact of, okay, now it's not an office. Now we have foreign people across the globe was another change he had to make is how do I take this cult company culture that's around the pool table or the ping pong table and make it global? I mean, that's quite quite a task. Uh, but it is important. Uh, the, one, the one thing that would have been cool to talk more about too is how do you manage a global workforce? Because if talent is scarce in the US and you're going to other countries to bring on talent, that, that's a skill up in and of itself that um, you know it'd be great to learn more about in terms of how that's done. Gosh, we're identifying a few things we want to we wish we would have asked them out. Maybe there's a follow-up conversation with them recorded or not. But yep. I uh, I'd like to ask him about when he said culture-wise, and he said, What's the key? People want to work there. And he said, get your core values out there. Yeah, And it was during a time that you were trying to go uh, a lightning round with them. But mm-hmm. other than putting the values on the wall, I would have loved to have heard what are some observable behavioral expressions of those values in his business mm-hmm. as a result of getting them out there? Like, what does that look like? Because there's something more than he uh, he put a nice poster on the wall and put up a ping pong table and that's a great place to work. Uh, I'd love to dig deeper into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think 
you know, part of it is just being very structured, regimented, having that patient ambition, growing, caring about your people, finding the niche in your business, focusing. And ultimately, you know, if you put in the time and, you know, he even mentioned in this episode, you know, how he got lucky, you know, he started working with Demandware and all of a sudden Salesforce builds, you know, buys Demandware. You know, that just didn't happen. I mean, that was 28 years to find, you know, to get luck like that. It, it takes that perseverance as an entrepreneur to get there. And I think Eric's business and what he's done with it is an excellent role model, whether you're starting your business today to realize that it's a long game, not a short game, or whether you're in your business today and you're trying to figure out how do I get to this promised land of having a business that's creating great equity. There's a lot of lessons here to be learned and, and I'm very impressed with what he's done. I think he's a good role model in that.